This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 48, with Jason Gaynard. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onken, and on this show, we're bringing you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, Shop Talk Creatives? Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Radio. It's a steamy Sunday here in New York City, and I'm about to head off to some adventures in Morocco, London, Germany, and Sweden for the next couple of weeks. So by the time you're listening to this, I will probably be somewhere in Morocco having fun with a friend of mine who is performing out there. So if you want to see what I'm seeing as I go, follow me on Instagram, at Nick Onkin. And I'll try to be doing some Snapchat updates, although I'm a little bit Snapchat retarded. I'm kind of getting the hang of it. Uh, my Snapchat is the Nick Onkin. Somebody apparently had Nick Onkin taken. So anyways, today's guest I want to introduce to you is Mr. Jason Gaynard. And he's an amazing dude. He hosts a, a mastermind, what's well, called Mastermind Talks. And it's a gathering of 150 people amazing entrepreneurs. A lot of the guests that you've seen on my show, shoptalkradio.com, if you want to check that out. Uh, the list of guests, there's a lot of people there. Jim Quick, Lewis Howes, Jordan Harbinger, John Levy, so many people. Satya Twina, they're all at Mastermind Talks um, doing talks and, and learning more about each other. Jason hosts and he's brought all these people together and we get to hear his story on how he's done that, which is pretty amazing. He took a lot of risks to get there, to build it, including spending $84,000 of money he didn't have to get Tim Ferriss to speak at his first one. Along with that, we talk a lot about building relationships and adding value. We talk about Dunbar's number of 150, how that is the number that the human brain can keep track of in number of relationships. And as we know, relationships are the most important thing in life and business. I flew up to Napa Valley, California a few weeks ago to interview Jason, but also to do a photo shoot of him for an article that was released on him on entrepreneur.com, which just came out a couple days ago. So we'll have that linked up in the show notes. You can check that out. And then check out all the rest of the photos on shoptalkradio.com slash EP48. Jason brings so much value in the world of connecting people and taking your network to the next level. And with that, let's dive in. What is up, Shop Talk Creators? We got my man Jason Gaynard in the house today. What's up? Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show, Jason. His uh, master connector he has a thing called mastermind talks and he curates amazing people and speakers and creates community but i'll let him tell you a little more about what he does since he does it and he can explain it better than i can i have it down to a science i've, I've said my story numerous occasions I'll get it uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, yeah i'll give you the uh the, the quick version so uh really quickly i not an academic. I dropped out of high school. Um, I became an entrepreneur rather quickly. I started a service-based business, mm -hmm. um, which was running errands for people. I had a personal concierge business, oddly enough, mm. and um, realized that service-based businesses are really tough to scale. So I pivoted into an online product business, which was actually selling concert tickets and reselling yeah. concert tickets. And I scaled that business to about $7 million a year over four years of no outside investments and mm. was living my model of success, which, which was the whole 
lifestyle design for our work week type thing mm. um, and was traveling the world making a ton of money but, but with all that money and all that free time I started asking myself questions like well why am I here will I be remembered how many people show up to my funeral and I was not happy with the answers I was mm. giving myself so I realized that money and happiness scale very differently uh, at the time I was making uh, and this was a kind of a revelation to me I was making 22 times the national average income and it bothered me because I knew I was not 22 times happier than the average male. Yeah. I was not 22 times healthier. When I was 20, 23, I had kidney complications because of stress. So I consciously decided to sell my business. Subconsciously, I started to detach from it because I just saw it as this like source of pain and became comfortable with the idea of scaling it down to zero. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, or fortunately, unfortunately, depends how you look at it now, but two things happened that were beyond my control that landed me a quarter million dollars in debt in August of 2012. Mm. So uh, for the first time in a long time, I had no business, no cash flow. Uh, I was just getting, this happened in August. I got married to my wife, September 1st. My daughter turned six months old, September 1st. Wow. So a lot of moving parts. So that was a really, really tough time. And actually the the toughest part of all that is that I knew I could pull myself out financially. Like $250,000 of debt is, is a lot of money, but I've made more money than that in the past. So we talked mm. a little bit about limiting beliefs yeah. uh, and ceilings and stuff like that. But so I knew I, I could pull myself out, but I didn't have the energy to do it because like most entrepreneurs, I built my business at the expense of my health. So I was 72 pounds overweight or 72 pounds heavier than I am now. Wow. Um, and uh, it was a terrifying moment. It was like having a Ferrari for a brain with no gas in the tank. So I realized the importance of like your health and getting that back on track. And that was the first thing I got back on track before I jumped into mastermind talks. Oh, wow. So uh, what was the, what was the business? Uh, so when I got out of the ticketing business, I had no business and then okay. like nothing. And I didn't know what was going to happen next and how mastermind talks came to be was this is August of 2012 in November. Oh, actually what happened was, uh, Seth Godin. So somebody gave me a ticket to go see Seth Godin in New York. And I've always been a huge fan of Seth's, but I've never had an opportunity to see him speak live in person. And, uh, somebody was offering this ticket on Facebook and it was just a, a random friend of mine. And they're like, if anybody can use this, take it. And I had no other obligations at the time. So I was like, I'll go. Right. Yeah. So I went, I had no clue what like he was going to talk about or anything like that, but the theme of the, the workshop was the connection economy and how there's huge value connecting like-minded individuals. Mm. And at the time I'm like, there's no group as disconnected in my opinion as entrepreneurs, because everybody's working in their own little silos and their businesses and stuff mm -hmm. like that, or creatives for that yeah. matter. Um, and I started doing these things called mastermind dinners where I'd invite six to eight people who didn't know each other uh, for dinner and yeah. with the hopes of just connecting them. And the first one I did, I almost canceled two hours prior. So I'm like, nobody's gonna see value in this. They're gonna think I wasted their time. But uh, being two hours prior to dinner, I couldn't cancel. So yeah. thankfully went through with it. Turned out to be a, just a phenomenal experience. I mean, the conversation lasted like four and a half hours and didn't skip a beat the entire time. Wow. And I got clarity at that dinner that connecting people was something I wanted to do to some capacity, not mm -hmm. necessarily as a business, but uh, it was something I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. And at the time, I paid for, I, I always pay for the dinners that I host and um, that dinner was no exception. So it was just adding to my debt and people thought it was crazy to, to host these dinners. Yeah. But I was... I didn't know what rock bottom was for me. Like bankruptcy was right around the corner. Like I, I didn't know, you know where I'd kind of bottom out. Yeah. So um, I, I knew that the bank could take my car. They could take whatever measly assets I have left, but they couldn't take my relationships. Mm. So investing in my relationships was really the safest investment I could make and investing in myself. 
So yeah. I joined a few like mastermind groups and stuff like that at the time with whatever little money I had left. Right. Um, uh, that's what I did with it was hosting these dinners, building my network and, and kind of working on myself yeah. as well. Oh, that's um, and then, uh, a few months later, uh, I had an opportunity to do an event with Tim mm. kind of briefly spoke about that, but Tim is somebody I've known for probably about three years, uh, for three years or so. So Tim Ferriss, and uh, he had a book coming out called the four hour chef. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Tim is by far one of the just most brilliant book marketers I know. And uh, his first two books were New York Times bestsellers. I think both number one New York Times bestsellers, uh, which was Four Hour Work Week and The Four Hour Body. Four Hour Chef was coming out, and two, three weeks before it came out, he got banned from all the Barnes and Noble bookstores. So oh, wow. eleven hundred bookstores, uh, and the reason being is because he was the first major author to publish through Amazon. So Barnes and Noble wants to make an example oh. of him because of it. So they want to kind of derail his plans to hit New York Times again. And uh, Tim, just being the creative guy he is, what he did was he created these book bundles that if you bought 25 books, he'd you know, send you some stuff. If you bought 100 books, maybe he'd do a webinar with you. He had this Hail Mary package that if you bought 4,000 books, he'd do two speaking engagements. And wow. I used to wake up at like four in the morning uh, when all this stuff was happening and there's parenting reasons for that. Um, but... Uh, broadcasted this this opportunity on his blog mm. and he just broadcasted it i was one of the first people to see it and when i saw the opportunity i'm like you know this is a great uh opportunity for a friend of mine who runs these huge events in canada because he has two three thousand people coming to them so he can easily move the books um and i click send on the email i sent him that email and the minute i click send i'm like you know this is a great opportunity for anybody because tim doesn't speak that often and i'm up in canada so tim's never really spoken in canada Mm. so this could be a a unique opportunity and if you just look at it from a speaking engagement perspective it was eighty four thousand dollars so forty two thousand dollars a talk and i'm like in the worst case scenario could i find 42 entrepreneurs in two major metropolitan cities to spend a thousand dollars to spend an hour with tim i'm like it's possible so I decided, I emailed him directly and I said, you know what, I'll, I'll take the package. And I had to raise, I've never raised money before in the past wow. for any of my businesses. I've built them on credit cards, but I had to raise $84,000 in two days because uh, the books had to be purchased right away before the book came out. And uh, I called three friends and the first one was interested but wanted to see the numbers. And I'm like, I don't have time to deal with numbers. I'm gonna have yeah. to call somebody else. The second person I called was really interested in partnering in, in, a, in a business uh, around an event. And then the third person uh, just gave me the money right away. Mm. And to me, I asked him a few months later, I'm like, I was in pure survival mode. Like it was a really risky, you know, to give me any kind of money uh, at the time. <laughs> and uh, I asked him, why did you, why'd you invest in, in what I was doing? And he's like, I wasn't investing in the business. I was investing in you. Mm. And to me, it was an eye opener that, you know, when you hit rock bottom in life, you'll be left with two things. One is your word and the integrity of your word. Mm. And the second thing is your relationships and to never tarnish your word and always invest in your relationships. So that's how Mastermind Talks came to be. And then I had the first event um, afterwards, or shortly afterwards, this happened in November, 2012. I had our first event in May, 2013. Uh, Had to get creative because I had no other money (laughs) besides the 4,000 books that I just purchased. Um, So as we kind of talked about, we don't pay our speakers. And that was based out of just... uh, creativity because I had my back against the wall and I couldn't pay speakers. And, yeah. but thankfully it's worked out really well for us. So that was the birthing of mastermind talks. The That's event. awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, and you've got so many amazing people attending now. Yeah. I mean, that it's, it's, 
I, it's, it's my favorite time of year for without a doubt. Like one of the testimonials that somebody left last year was that mass my talks felt like a two day long dinner party in good company. And to me, like that's, that really kind of sums up the event. And another person said like, it felt like a wedding. And actually when it comes down to like the planning of the event, I only do one event a year cause I can't do more like from a bandwidth perspective. It's just, that's it's crazy. way too much. And we don't even have to, like I used to oftentimes I had an opportunity. It's funny after our first event, uh, our first event happened in May 2013 in Toronto. I had one of the speakers who loved the event so much, she wanted to take it to the UK. Yeah. She was willing to fund the entire thing. Uh, she's like, you can be as involved or as little involved as you want. Um, you know, let's do this. And wow. I want, I was going, I was going to do it. I was going to sign on the dotted line, like literally like at the 11th hour, uh, I decided not to, cause I was really kind of contemplating, why do I want to do this so bad? And it came down purely on ego. It was mm. for just the, to be able to say, I do an event, you know, here in, in North America and I do another event halfway around the world. That's not the right reason to do yeah, anything exactly. for that matter. So um, that's why we've just been sticking with one event. And as I kind of told you before, every year we scale by increasing the quality of people in attendance. And I'm very blessed as far as, and we share very many, many mutual friends who come to our events. Yeah. Like Lewis, John Levy's coming this year, Satya, which I'm really excited about, uh, Jim Quick. So a lot of your past podcast guests. Yeah, Jordan Harbinger. Uh, Jordan Harbinger, yeah. 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 Jordan Harbinger, it's funny. We um, So one thing we decided to do this year, we sold out four months in advance. And when I sit kind of like because we sold out i wasn't busy busy like i normally am so i decided you know what i'm going to do i'm going to test everybody we want people to come to our events that are like 100 percent committed that'll be 100 percent present so if they have a product launch or any kind of business deals going on mastermind around mastermind talks i don't want them there because you're mm. not allowed cell phones during the event like we want people to be 100 percent present oh, like so what that. we decided to do 50 days out was um offer people a thousand dollar incentive to cancel so usually in the event, wow. yeah. So usually in the event space, there's no cancellations, no refunds. Like that's just standard protocol. So not only did we give people an opportunity to cancel and get a full refund, but a thousand dollar incentive to do it. And um, I didn't know how it goes. It was actually terrifying. I actually made the mistake. So I thought about this idea back in January, and then I'm like, ah, you know, if people cancel, then logistically it's 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 very difficult not to sell tickets, but to get the right people in the room. Yeah. And um, just orchestrating that, it's just adding more to my plate. And then you, one morning I woke up. I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to do it. And I sent out the email. My original intention was to block people into. We have 140 people in attendance, mm-hmm. so to do it in groups of like 20. So send. A, 20 people an email at a time and then see how it is. Like, hopefully we don't get too many people cancel and then <laughs> nobody cancels, then do the the next 20 and that kind yeah. of stuff. So to stagger it out. And I, w- I don't know, I woke up that morning, I wasn't thinking straight and I sent the email to everybody and I sent the email out and I'm like, oh my God. And then uh, <laughs> a few minutes later, you know, randomly, like if you're on Gmail or whatever, it'll just randomly like eight emails will come in. And I had some like 10 emails that came in all at once. And I'm like, I just completely shot myself in the foot. Like 50 oh. days of the event, I'm going to have all these cancellations. And thankfully it was emails from people like Jordan Harbinger saying like, you can't pay me enough to like not come and stuff like that. Oh. So it, it really kind of reinforced the community. We had one person cancel out of the 140 and it was based on a, a schedule conflict. Oh, but wow. uh yeah, so that's how I have ADD, as you can tell, and that's how Jordan Harbinger <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. brought the, brought that story up. So, so how do you, how do you curate who? What's the filter? Who gets to come? Like, how does that even? How do you work? And I know it's growing, you know, year by year by year, and it's changing. So, yeah, like if you're curating an event like this, how do you how do you filter it? So it's more of an art than a science. Um, there's so there's other organizations out there that curate their their audience based purely on. 
uh, simple metrics like your business has to do X or you have to have X amount of employees or, or stuff like that. And, uh, for me, I just, I didn't want to do it that way. Like my, it's funny because our first event, we opened it up in, I don't remember when it was now, but we, we started selling tickets like pretty last minute. It was, we actually six months out to the event, I tried to find an event planner to work for us and I reached out to two and they wouldn't take on the event because it was too close. They're wow. like, you, this event's going to flop. Like you're, you're, you're six months out. You need to plan this like 12 months out. Wow. So I'm like, well, I already have, I already have the date booked and, and the speaker's book. I'm like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta do it. So I planned the first two events or three events now, uh, on my own. But, uh, so our first event, we had 4,200 entrepreneurs apply, which was caught me completely off guard. And uh, I literally had to go through every single application one by one. And what I would do is those who I thought were interesting, I'd send them uh, an invite. And when they secured their spot, I'd hold a phone call with them. Mm. And in that phone call, I was having a hard time kind of gauging again, like what is an entrepreneur, right? Like traditionally, like 20, 30 years ago, it's somebody with a traditional brick and mortar business with standard overhead, like employees and all this kind of stuff. But I know people, you know, with a laptop who are fascinating people like you who don't have that kind of stuff or don't need that kind of stuff, right? Because they can leverage technology and stuff. So the, the, just the definition of what an entrepreneur is, is, is really blurry. So uh, I had a really tough time at the beginning to kind of decipher who would be a great fit for the event or not. But I, I came up with the the idea, which is the least scientific way of, of determining uh, out of all, but it really works well, especially with my kind of gut intuition, is that at the end of every phone call I had with everybody, I'd ask myself, would I want to have dinner with this person? Mm. And if the answer was no, I didn't care how big their business was. I didn't care how you know amazing their online resume yeah. was. I just didn't want them there. And that's mm. why we get... A lot of people just say it's an incredible group of people or everybody's one degree separation away from each other. It's because, again, it's like a big dinner party. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so now it's a, it's a little different now. And like we were talking about offline, I have I have to figure out a better way Yeah. Um, because it's working well for us as far as filling the room, but it's not working well as in the fact that I'm not getting exposed to new people yeah. because the way we work it now is we don't take applications per se. I reach out to people individually who I think would be a great fit and those people sign up. Got so it. uh, it's a model that's working well from a business perspective, but it could be better. And that's something I'm looking to fix. Yeah. Well, so, you're doing a great job. Thank I love you. it. I appreciate so you it. Got, it's not, I, mean, I want to go, I want to have dinner. <laughs> 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 it sounds like a great thing, but I want to jump back a little bit to where you were talking about how you lost in, in the business, you lost 250,000, you're 250,000 in debt. Yeah. A, what happened? And then B, what did you do to like pick yourself up and like move out of that? Yeah. So this is a, well, the, it's, it's hard because the, the business crashed and then I was also becoming, you know, dealing with being a new father, which is tough. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, dealing with being a husband, which, yeah. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of moving parts there. So it's hard to put in, in what order, which was the toughest to deal with at the time, because it seemed like everything was crashing. But one of the biggest things that got me back on track is, and it, it feels stupid to say, but I was resenting my daughter at the time. I, I just, mm. I honestly, it was one of those things like as, um, before you have a kid, oftentimes you have this, this vision that the first time you hear people say like the first time I held my son or daughter, I felt like I, I realized my reason for living and all mm. this kind of stuff, like these big kind of aha moments. And the first time I held my daughter, I didn't feel that. And yeah. I felt like a complete like monster, like what's wrong with me and all this other stuff is going on. And when she started getting a few months old, I was just, I was in a bad place, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I was, 
I was resenting her. And one of the core reasons I figured out why I was resenting her is because um, we all have a kind of core uh, need for freedom, especially as entrepreneurs, right? Like that's why many of us are entrepreneurs. So we can do what we want, when we want, wherever we want, right? Yeah. Nothing throws your your schedule upside down more than having a child. So I lost that sense of freedom. Uh. Um, and I kind of sat down with myself. I'm like, I know I can't go on resenting my daughter. It's ridiculous. So... I can bank on not having control. And, and also at the time I was clearly unhappy. So I started doing research on what makes people happy as, as silly mm-hmm. as that sounds. And one of the things was there's, um, there's like four pillars to happiness. And one of them is perceived control. And for the first time in a long time, I had no sense of control, right? Everything just mm-hmm. felt like it was spinning. And that's the one thing when I see even successful entrepreneurs go and transition from one business to another if they have no sense of control it just it, it's easy to kind of just spiral out of control so yeah. i i said well i i know i can't control the time she's awake which is 8 a.m to 7 p.m but i can control the time before that or after that so because i'm naturally a little bit of a morning person i started waking up at 4 a.m which is, that was the kind of the full, yeah. core reason so I would just do the bulk of my work from the hours of 4 a.m to 8 a.m and that gave me that sense of control that at least I can't control all this stuff going on on the outside, but I can control this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just became vigilant with like morning rituals and stuff like that, yeah. um, being very strategic. And it got to a point where I could produce more like high quality work within that four hours in the morning um, than I could usually like in a full like eight to 10 hour day. And by the time my daughter woke up, the bulk of my work was already done. So I'm already in a better mood with her. <laughs> Things are good. And that's yeah. how I started to get uh, traction. Um, but really it was, I was, hanging in there until something kind of hit me because i knew also i didn't want to end up in the same situation i was in before which was to build a business purely for the sake of money oftentimes entrepreneurs are taught to build a business based on proximity and opportunity right what is something you can make money at right right um and uh that oftentimes leads us in 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 the wrong direction and we end up in in a space where i like to call like the entrepreneur hamster wheel where we build a business we hate to enable us to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like right (laughs) totally uh and i was on that for for quite some time and i knew i didn't want to get back on that path so um one exercise i did which i don't know who put it put me onto it, but it was incredibly, incredibly valuable. And I didn't think it would be, which was to design your perfect day. Mm. And, uh, this is when, yeah, I was, I didn't know what was coming next business wise or that kind of stuff. But the premise is that the core function of business is to make money. And the core function of money is to perpetuate experiences in our day-to-day life. So if we know that's a natural kind of transition of things, the next logical question is, well, what do you want your day-to-day life to look like? Right. Because enough people that are out there chasing the money and then they don't know what that, what they're, chasing that money for mm-hmm. um they lost that why so um the perfect day exercise basically is like where do you wake up who do you wake up next to what are you having for breakfast what are you doing for for work uh, doesn't have to be like specifically what you're doing for work but um are you going into an office are you working with a team are you working from a laptop in the bahamas like you get very very crystal clear what are the emotions you feel throughout the day is it gratitude is it joy is it, it um excitement and I get very, very clear on that. And then what that did was I got very clear on what that perfect day would look like. And I projected it for like three years mm. later. But the magical thing is it worked as a filter so that every new opportunity that came my way, I could say, is this going to take me closer to my perfect day or is it going to take me further away? And if I didn't have that, I probably would have taken an opportunity that was mm. purely financial gain and end yeah. up in the exact same situation again. So very, very grateful that exercise uh, was was was. I guess 
on my radar at that point yeah, in time. Yeah, that's great. So it's that's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you have to do it for the passion of the craft. And I mean, that's something I talk about a lot on the podcast yeah. and, and creative entrepreneurship is that you can't do it for egoic reasons because you'll never put in the hard work to get there. 100%. That, that's, I mean, um, Neil Strauss, who's a seven-time New York Times bestselling author, he has a, his philosophy is like, do something that you love because that's the ultimate safety net. Because even if you don't make money at it, at least you have something that you, you love, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's it's true. And I mean, and that's the one thing now is, I try to surround myself with people who do what they love, like Satya, who's somebody who's near and dear to both of us and you interviewed. Yeah. I mean, she, dude, when I walked into her hat factory, that girl is lit up the entire time talking yeah. about hat. And that is contagious. You know what I mean? You can't pay somebody a million dollars a year to be that excited. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and those are the people I want to surround myself with, right? It's like, there's, there's a saying you want to surround yourself with people who are uh, batteries and not black holes. Ooh. Man, she's a firecracker. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> right? oh, that's, a, so, that's a good quote. I like so, that. Um, so, yeah, so that's, uh, you definitely, you have to pursue what you love. And when you do, I mean, people just get attracted to you. I mean, where I, where my life is now, and this is 2012, it's not that long ago, where I was to where I am now, it's, it's my life has changed on virtually every level from my yeah. relationships to my health to my Ha overall happiness. I've not where I need to be financially, but I know I'm going to get there. I've never felt wealthier. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. I mean, speaking of that, what kind of morning rituals do you do? Do you have? So I'm always testing. So I had really strict morning rituals for the first year, year and a half. Um, but again, always kind of testing, see what works for me. So I've done stuff like daily idea generation. So literally, like you sit down, you write down ideas till your brain hurts. Mm. Um, and that's just a great exercise. That's actually from my friend, James Altucher, who is philosophy is that, you know, the idea generation is like, it's like a muscle. And if you don't use it, it atrophies. So yeah. um, his, his thing is it's a daily practice for him where he'll write like 10 things I'm grateful for. And the next day, maybe, um, you know, 10 podcast ideas for, for you. You know what I mean? You're like, you're a friend of mine. I'm going to come up with 10 podcast yeah. ideas and I'm going to email you. And you'll get value from that because who knows, maybe one or two of them, you'll be like, that's a good guess or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. And for him, it's just, it's generating, uh, it's using that muscle and mm -hmm. it's getting stronger. So um, so there's actually his wife, Claudia, wrote a book uh, on idea generation, Claudia Altucher, you could find it. Um, but I was doing that for a while. Uh, I was doing ice baths for and cold showers for about six months. Um and I stopped in the winter because the winter in Canada is cold. So, <laughs> so when I moved to my, when I go to my office and it's freezing cold and then hop in an ice bath was a little, <laughs> a little difficult, but that was, that proved to be great. And there's huge health benefits to that. But, uh, one of the major benefits is doing something every, like doing something that you don't want to do, mm. uh, and forcing yourself through it. Cause it, what it does to me at least is it kind of shows your unconscious mind who's in charge. Cause we all have those voices throughout the Ooh. day. So if you do something, you like, nobody wants to jump in an ice bath, right? <laughs> but if you do it, once you do it, you're like, oh, I just did this. It's a small win. I can do, you know, I can stay yeah. on track for the rest of the day doing something else. And it's it was just a great daily practice and something I have to get back into. My my life has been a little crazy <laughs> with mastermind talks, but something I have to get back into. Uh, writing, creative right? writing has been huge for me and something um, I continue to, to strive to do a lot of because to yeah. me, it just really sharpens the mind. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's, that's been a fantastic exercise for me as well. You can never have too much content or writing right. out there. What kind of stuff do you write in terms of like practice or I guess daily ritual? Um, really, 
It's so at this point, it's it's uh, I do a lot of uh, solo stuff for the podcast, which requires a lot of writing, which is nice. One thing, so I don't like journal or anything like that, which I should. I wish I did, but I don't. And um, like I'll listen to other podcasts, and literally what I'll do is I'll listen to a podcast in the car, and I'll hear something that's really interesting. Yeah, and I'll turn on my voice recorder, so I'll rewind it, and I'll turn on my voice recorder on my phone, and I'll capture that nugget. And then once a week, I'll sit down and go through all my voice recordings and I'll capture it into Evernote. And then Jim Quick actually has this this thing where it's like capture notes. Sorry, take notes. Uh, yeah, capture notes on one side. He'll he'll take a piece of paper and he'll draw a line right down the center. And on the left-hand side, he'll have capture notes. And on the right-hand side, he'll have create notes. Mm. So we'll elaborate on things. So when I come across things that are, are interesting, um, even like parenting, I have a, an episode on parenting on the podcast, which literally was just, you know, a few people asking me about certain things. And I'm like, I'm just going to completely just mind dump everything I know about my journey in, in regards to that. And yeah. people have gotten great value. And that's the beautiful thing about podcasting or blogging or any of those mediums is just, you know, you put it out there once and it's people get tremendous value from it. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I write about all different types of stuff, but I wish I did a little more journaling. That's great. Lie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm for me, I, I get, I don't write as much cause I get just blocked and then I just sit there in front of the computer and like, uh, like if I'm trying to write a blog post or yeah. something, I can free write a little bit here and there, but it's tough. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, one thing Seth Godin says is you, you can have writer's block, but you can't have talker's block. Right. So one thing is that sometimes I'll get writer's block as well. But what I'll do is I'll hop on my phone and turn on the voice recorder and just start talking uh, as if I'm talking to a group of people or something yeah. like that. And that just gets the kind of the creative juices flowing. And then maybe I'll hop back on and write a little bit more or I'll stop. And then I'll have that voice recording, though, to like sit on later and kind of go mm. back on. Um, but it's uh, I, it's it's one of those things. All writers, I don't, I don't want to say all writers, but the majority of writers struggle with that. Um, yeah. I have enough friends who are like, big time New York Times bestselling authors and even like the biggest of the big use programs like Freedom App to disconnect their Wi-Fi. They'll hand their cell phone to their <sighs> assistant um, and say like, don't let me leave this room until I like come up with a page. Like there's uh, one philosophy is like two crappy pages a day, like write for the wastebasket. So it's just like write for the sake of writing. And if you do two pages a day, I mean, in no time you'll have a book really. And there's, there's a I remember Bill Gates, he had one of his favorite authors was this professor in Winnipeg and he was doing, he was publishing like three, four books a year Wow! for years. And he's still doing it. And, um, the reporter asked him like, how do you do this many books? Like it's, it's bananas. Nobody pumps out this, this amount of books and they're all like academic books. Yeah. And he's like, I just write, I think it was like four pages a day and it adds up real fast. That's right. It. So even my book that I did, it's, it's not, I don't even consider it a book, but I literally did that in a month. Wow. Um, but just making it a daily practice, right? Yeah. So uh, I think making a daily practice and just committing to that one crappy page a day, even if it's like scribbles or something, yeah. uh, is probably the right direction. And I know a lot of friends who are like legit authors that that's their their philosophy. Oh, so good advice. But it's what medium works best for you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can express yourself create creatively in different ways, right? Maybe yeah. it's hopping on a podcast. Maybe it's doing different things. Like for me, I have friends who are you know, uh, big YouTubers and stuff like that. I've tried to do YouTube. I, I can't do it. You know what I mean? I so, and I don't consider myself a, a writer either, either. So that's maybe not the best medium. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's good to, to tap into that, uh, that creative side yeah. whenever possible. It's just like doing it, like the act of actually doing it, no matter what, if it's crap or not. 
yeah you know, your editor in your head like get that out and just like go dude you it. yeah i mean uh I mean, the, again, a lot of these big time authors, they write, they say like the first draft is for like the waste bin. Like if you'll never, like, they'll like, I won't even show my editor the first draft. Um, cause it just, they just write and they're like, it's terrible. But it, the, the, the magic when it comes to a book is in the revisions. Yeah. Right. And they understand that. And then they, you know, a lot of these guys have, or guys and girls have been in the space long enough to, to know that. But, uh, again, we just put a, a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves and just, you know, create this like, you know, paralysis by analysis of like what other people would think and stuff like that. So yeah. I totally get it. And I struggle with it from time to time. But I think again, setting the bar low, like a crappy page a day or something like that and making it a daily practice and making it a priority and doing it first thing in the morning, ideally. Yeah. Depends on when you're most creative. Cause I know some, some, some authors do it at night, but studies have shown you have the most amount of willpower first thing in the morning that you have, yeah. you run into kind of willpower fatigue pretty quickly <laughs> and decision fatigue. So if you ever want to do your best work and the most important work you do first thing in the morning. Yeah. So. I noticed that for myself, like in the morning I'm good. Yeah. Afternoon hits. It's like the decision fatigue sets in and you're just like, <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. I mean, as especially as, as creatives and entrepreneurs, we have so many decisions we have to make throughout the day. You know, what I mean, I sometimes I get home to my wife and she's like, "What do you want for dinner?" I'm like, "I don't like, don't ask me any questions. <laughs> like, I can't make another decision at this point in time." So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I want to jump back a little bit. You know, one of the important things that you said that was most important to you is investing in your relationships. Mm-hmm. And I want to dissect that. Like, a, what does it mean to invest in relationships, and how do you do it? Um. So there's a, a few things. Uh, I think one of the the biggest things that I do that not a lot of that's not kind of conventional wisdom when it comes to relationship building is everybody wants to connect with like the Tim Ferrisses of the world or the Richard Bransons of the world. Like I have a, a few friends right now, uh, literally on my Facebook newsfeed, they're just filling it up with like pictures with them and Branson. Like every once in a while, he does this this thing, and you know people go down there and. Like that has no appeal to me. I have no appeal to like, he's an amazing individual, but what mm-hmm. kind of value am I going to deliver to him? So there's no point of me to like really kind of reach out to him and connect with him yeah. other than me taking a photo for vanity purposes and posting it on Facebook. <laughs> right, right? So, right. which is what, well, I mean, we all have those kind of selfish things, but for me, like one of my, my philosophies that has really helped me tremendously is that amazing people become increasingly amazing over time. You know, I know people in my network now who aren't big names yet but they're really interesting people like they're not famous but they're fascinating Mm -hmm. and that's they're they're just interesting to me and i want to keep them around because of that and maybe some of them some of them will be big names maybe some of them won't but if you want to connect with the tim ferris the guy's not looking for any more friends at this point in time right so and he's if anything he has his guard up because he's all everybody wants to poach him for for different things they everybody wants something from him at this point right but if you were friends with tim in 2008 2009 it was easy, right? Because he wasn't that well yeah. known. So yeah. I way the way people look at businesses, and invest in businesses. I invest in people, and I see people as as assets in that sense. And I don't try to like hitch my wagon to like people who I think are going to be big. I just really want to surround myself with amazing people. And mm-hmm. uh, again, the the philosophy that amazing people become increasingly amazing over time is is kind of really served well for me. Because especially in this space, like you know, Lewis Howes, when I met him three years ago. He was just getting off his couch. You know what I mean? Like off his sister's couch yeah. and, and and having that injury, he was starting to make moves in like the LinkedIn space. And now he's like, he's killing it. He's you know what I mean? It right um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of one of my philosophies, but I, it's, it's, it's one of those things we kind of briefly talked about Dunbar's number, which is 
from a science perspective, it's it's been proven that our frontal cortex cannot process more than like 150 relationships mm-hmm. at once. Yeah, and you know we live in a in a world where we're always trying to collect more people, connect you know connect to people on Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff like that. So we're really collecting instead of actually genuinely connecting with people. Mm. And to me. I'm all about quality over quantity in that that yeah. sense. Um, there's a saying that doesn't matter how many friends you can count, it matters how many friends you can count on. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my philosophy. So even with it even shows up in mastermind talks that we cap it at 150 people and I don't we won't go any larger than that. We're just gonna increase the quality of people mm-hmm. in attendance year over year. So um, yeah, quality is a, a big, big thing. And with that said, I mean, unfortunately, you have to let some people go yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, every once in a while um, to kind of keep that quality. But my kind of thought is that I guess the path to a, a great set of relationships is subtraction instead of addition, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's always kind of removing the the weak or anybody who's toxic in your life and even family in, in, in some cases um, and just kind of keeping the best of the best and investing in them. Yeah. So, so how do you remove toxic people? Um, uh, so I guess every situation is different. I mean, there's, there's a couple different things like family's tough. You know, mm-hmm. I had, Oh God. So my, <laughs> my family, I love them to death, but uh they are very, uh, they play the victim card a lot, yeah. which is tough um, because, you know, they don't take responsibility for, for things. It's always, you know, they watch the news a lot and they just live in their own little bubbles and stuff like that. And they're not, there's not a ton of awareness um, there. And it's it, because of that, it, it proves to be tough because as an entrepreneur, um, you naturally just, you feel like a lot is within your control and mm-hmm. entrepreneurs tend to be pretty self-aware and stuff like that. So I don't, tend to surround myself with people who are not. And when I started to run into issues with my family, um, was very difficult. And in the mm. sense, in the, in, in the scenario with my family, I mean, I, I love them immensely. And I, you know, we still do the family stuff like Christmases and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, I'm just very conscious as to where I allocate my time. Yeah. Um, and, um, it's tough and you know, I will, I, <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things that you have to do. And I, I know some people that have gone, as far as saying like, I don't want anything to do with you, you know, when they're family and completely cut them mm-hmm. off cold, depending on the scenario. I had to do that actually at one point in time. My, my, one of my parents, um, dealt with like bad alcohol issues in my teens. And at one point I'm like, you know, enough is enough. And I had to just say like, literally I'm disconnecting because I can't have this right wow. now. And, uh, I moved out. It was one of the best things I did. And they ended up getting better after a while and then we kind of reconnected yeah. um, but you can't surround yourself with toxic people I mean it's just and even if it's family and if it's not family then there's definitely no reason to, yeah. to surround yourself with them so it doesn't get easy but for me it's like if it's a friend or something like that I always choose to grow you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I think as humans we're just designed to build and grow like yeah, if you put absolutely. a kid in front of Lego blocks and they've never seen them before, they will stack them. You know what I mean? Like we're just designed mm-hmm. to build things and to, to constantly grow. And it's what doesn't grow dies and what doesn't contribute gets eliminated. Like, like that's how evolution is. And yeah. I believe that's the same for relationships as well. So, um, and I treat kind of my relationships uh, in that way. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it never gets easy, but even in the case of, of friends, like I feel like 
you know, the first relationships you have in your life are based purely on proximity and aren't the relationships you chose, right? Mm. You go to a school and you just naturally through osmosis have to become friends with those people and stuff like that. And some may stay throughout your life, but I mean, there's a a great saying that some people in your, in your life for a reason and some for a season. So if you're able to look at it like that, you understand like people will come and go. Um, but it's like, you know, when they go through school, they're kind of, everybody's has their hands hold held to some degree to grow through that entire process. And then once they get through like college, some people are just, some people are like, okay, now I have to keep on growing and some people just stop. So if somebody yeah. chooses to stop, I feel like they made the first decision to not to, co- to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. So it makes it easier on me to be like, you know, I'm going to continue this path that I've been on yeah. for the past 20 years yeah. and, um, and just kind of treat it like that. But I haven't, I've had a few, especially in the position I'm in now, when I eliminate somebody from my network, I have to publicly do it oftentimes because oh. of association. So for example, I mean, there's a handful of people we eliminate from our events year over year, but there's one person I had to publicly do it with who was just inauthentic, mm. who, you know, in, in traditional business business circles, it's all about like posturing and stretching the truth and, mm-hmm. you know, you're bigger than you are and all that kind of stuff. And that can be dangerous. Um, and this certain individual like really stretched the truth and I just couldn't have it. And I can't expose my my network to a liability like that. So I have mm-hmm. to sometimes publicly and kind of harshly remove somebody. Oh, wow. Um, but the average person doesn't. Because the thing is, is if somebody sees that somebody's within my network, even on Facebook, they'll naturally, they'll put their guard down, mm. right? Um, and the issue we have within Mastermind Talks is there's this unspoken trust amongst everybody. So on the outside of the uh, of our community, like people would normally have their guard up and have their due diligence and stuff like that. Yeah. But doing uh, interactions, you know, within the community, they have their guard down and that's really dangerous. So if I have somebody who's not the right fit or has the wrong intentions, I got to remove them right away. So yeah. that's that's been tough, but uh, the average person doesn't have to deal with that, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> yeah. So how does that, I mean, compare with, you know, you have your mastermind um, network, but then you also have your like, personal network and your personal relationships. I mean, are those like, they're probably both intermixed, I would guess. I'm incredibly blessed to be able to work with people that are my best friends. Like literally like the, the people that come, like my wife and I got married three years ago. If we got married again next year, it would just look like a mastermind talks event. Like (laughs) I only have people at the event that I thoroughly enjoy spending time with and that I want to invest in and that I want to, to help in any and support any way I can. Um, so very blessed like the people that come to the event have just become really close friends of my wife and I she's very involved in the event as well Um, and I think that's one thing as well that makes what I do unique in the sense of what I was doing before is I used to hate my customers I like I literally we sold concert tickets and stuff like that I hated concerts you know (laughs) I never went to concerts I saw no value in going I had one customer buy Madonna tickets was first row floors he spent 18 grand for two tickets And I'm like, dude, you are bananas. Like, I see yeah. no value in it whatsoever. So it's hard to sell something you don't see value in. But on top of that, I just didn't like the people. Yeah. And uh, because of that, I just, I started to sabotage money-making opportunities because I'm like, I don't even want to sell to these people because I don't want them to come back to me to like, to deal with them. Wow. So like, it was just that it became this like cycle of sabotage towards the end compared to mastermind talks. Like, man, I invest like everything. I came back into the event to increase the experience because these are all like really close friends. So very blessed in that sense. But at the end of the day, that's an environment I created in the sense that like I fire people who are not, you know, 
who I don't enjoy working with. Like I'm not, I'm never going to put money ahead of my happiness or the integrity of my community or anything like that. Yeah. So, uh, although, you know, it looks great from the outside, it's definitely something that there's a lot of intention that went into it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, because of that, just, yeah, I'm very, very blessed. That's awesome. So yeah, that's the, that's the way it should be. It, sh- it should. I mean, it's again, we live in a beautiful time where it's an amazing time to start a business. Like it's never been easier to start a business with all the online tools and stuff. Like, I mean, I, I don't think I would be an entrepreneur 30 years ago. Right. Like to think like, dude, like to think if you want to start selling a product, you'd have to a save a bunch of money, then like rent a store for like five year lease or something yeah. like that, hire employees, stock the shelves, and then yeah. open the door, do all this advertising, then open the doors in hopes that somebody comes in to buy something. You know what I yeah. mean? As opposed to now you can throw up like a Shopify store or a WordPress site or something like that yeah. this afternoon and start selling product. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, you you invested a few you know hours of your time and right. it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like exactly. it's a beautiful time. So yeah. uh yeah. That's that's funny. So we have that ability to to really, entrepreneurs are one of the few people, um, and it, a lot of us have this ability, but to have true independence when it comes to their purpose, when it comes to their time, when it comes to their relationships, mm-hmm. you have you have you can design your life as such. Yeah. And I know something you talk about is lifestyle design. Yeah. And to me, it's just the easiest way to design your life is to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, create so, your, create your life. Hundred percent. That's that's my uh, your perfect day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But your moment. This is your show. So yes, create your moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, in one of your podcasts, you talk about upgrading your circle. Like while we're still on this topic. Yeah. Like what's what's the idea behind that? Um. So if I could attribute my like, if you could boil down my success to anything, is I've always surrounded myself with people who are one or two steps ahead of me, mm. and what that does is that we all have a yearning to be connected to like-minded individuals, right? So this goes back to like our old like tribe mentality when we used to live in tribes. You know, there was, if if you lived in a tribe and you were kicked out of the tribe for any reason, mm-hmm. you would die. You'd either starve to death or you get eaten by an animal. The only reason we've been able to prosper and persevere as a, as a race is our ability to kind of band in numbers. So we have this innate uh, just desire and core to, to, to be surrounded by like-minded individuals. So what I do and have always done is surrounding myself with people who are one or two steps ahead of me as far mm-hmm. as what I want, whether it be health and fitness, whether it be business success, whether it be relationships. And it makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to become comfortable with the uncomfortable to some extent. Yeah. And what it does is it makes you unconsciously just try to close that gap yeah. Between where you are and where they are as quick as possible so you can feel like you belong. Mm, so interesting. That's the kind of the the thing, the 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 caveat to that is that I've always surrounded myself with people who are one or two steps ahead of me. After a while you start to feel like crap. Cause you're always comparing yourself to people who are like more successful and you know in better shape right. and all that kind of stuff so now i practice something which is like called like the law of 33 percent, where i spend a third of my time with people who are not at my level um oh. a third of time of people who are at my level whatever that may level may be maybe it's business maybe it's health whatever the case is and then a third of my time with people who are ahead of me mm. so the people that are ahead of me those are the benefits again you want to close that gap as quickly as possible those that are at your level we all have a yearning to be really to feel understood mm-hmm. um and we all kind of need a core group of people where we just you know we can surround ourselves with like celebrities and big names but like we just have a group of people that we're just you know just tight with and we yeah. can just sit and, and you know uh have a, t- a really close relationship and then people who are not at my level 
because A, on an unconscious, conscious or unconsciously, whether it's right or wrong, you feel good about yourself, right? <laughs> so if you have a bigger business and blah, 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 but what, what also what it enables you to do is to be a mentor or to mm-hmm. guide. Yeah. And in order to guide somebody or to mentor or advise somebody, you need to be able to articulate you know, um, whatever that is or break that down. So sometimes we get all the success and we don't realize, you know, the steps we took to get there. Yeah. So you just get a deeper level of mastery and understanding mm. by being able to kind of show somebody else the way, uh, or at least the, the steps you took to, to get to where you are. So that yeah. to me has been like the perfect blend because again, surrounding yourself with people who are one or two steps ahead has been tremendous for me. Uh, but again, can leave you with some self-worth issues that you'll have to work through later. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Uh, so yeah, but it's, it's, it's difficult. It's yeah. not easy and you get more comfortable with it because you always feel like the odd man out. You know what I mean? You go to an event and I was at uh, a friend of mine's wedding in, in Austin, which was the one that Lewis House was at. Yeah. And it was like, you know, Tim was there, Lewis was there, um, Robert Green was there, like all these like big names. It was like uh, you know, a small wedding of like 35 people. And I'm like, what am I doing in this room? You know what that's I mean? That's crazy. Um, but again, you just, you learn to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. It was like, like anything, you know, when you, you, you take that big leap or something like that, eventually it just becomes natural and you become comfortable with it. And then you set yeah. a new plateau and you set a new plateau. So, yeah. um, that's one of my, my biggest things for growth. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I kind of, I felt the same thing like at Scooter's wedding. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was I could imagine. <laughs> I mean, there's just like all these celebrities and people and on one hand it felt like family yeah like everybody there was super cool because everybody that was there knew that they're like family of scooter yeah and so but still like i find myself having to how, like around like celebrities like well, how do you act what, what do you do like how do you add value yeah i mean that's a big thing and which leads me to my next, next question to you is like you know when you're when you're wanting to build relationships with people that you feel are a step or two or 10. Yeah, sure, sure. How do you a connect with them and then B add value? Because obviously, you know, in the, in the realm of building relationships, we want to add value to everyone else. Sure. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's different ways. I mean, I always, the biggest thing is always do it from like an authentic place. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, like I have no, I don't reach out to somebody unless I know I can deliver value to them to some extent. Like Mm -hmm. Richard Branson, again, we kind of talked about him. He'd be a cool guy to hang around with, but I have nothing to talk to him about really. And there's nothing I can help him with. Maybe there is, if I do like some digging, maybe on like the charity side or some marketing thing I can help him with. I don't know. Yeah. But because of that, I have no desire, right? So I don't find myself in scenarios too, too often that that it's a big, big stretch because I, I always check myself mm. as far as like, why do I want to connect with this person? Right. Um, and that's where I often check myself like, because I'd want to take a selfie and post it on Facebook, you know what I mean? And see how many likes I get. So because of that, uh, uh, again, I'm not threatening. And uh, I often like, you know, the relationship I built with Tim, it wasn't uh, me kind of, hounding them on like things I can help them with and stuff like that. Cause the one thing too about delivering value and I get this myself is like people reach out to me and be like, Oh, I want to, let me help you with anything, blah, blah, blah. I can do this. I can do that. But then it puts the onus on the other person to like come up with ideas of how you can help them. And it's just like, I'm already busy enough. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So I mean, there's different ways to, okay. So with big name people, and I'll give you a great example. Um, sometimes just being their biggest fan. Like I have Hmm. the, I have this like, philosophy called like the biggest fan theory where um we all have a deep desire we there's 
if you're launching a book, I don't care who you are, how big of an author you are, you're always scared when you launch it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I will try to be the first person to review that book because mm -hmm. every author reads every review. I don't care who they are, especially when they first launched. So yeah. I'll be the first person to leave a review. I'll be the first person to try to, sh you know, buy a copy of that book and, and share that book. Or um, sometimes I'll, I'll connect people. A great example of two people who I want to get to know a little better who I didn't know was uh, a gentleman named Dave Asper, who has a podcast called The mm -hmm. Bulletproof Exec, yep. and Stephen Kotler, who uh, wrote a book on um, co-wrote Abundance and Bold and is big into like flow and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I, two of these guys, I, I thought, you know, both of these guys I want to connect with eventually, but I'm like, you know what, S Steven would be a great guest on, on, uh, on Dave's podcast and Dave would probably, you know, enjoy to kind of connect with Steven. So I reached out to Dave and I, I just, it's easy to find people's email address. I reached out to Dave and I said, Hey, uh, you know, Steven's coming out with a book. Would you be interested in having him as a podcast guest? And he's like, yeah, sure. I love his work. So I reached out to Steven. I'm like, Hey, would you be interested in getting on Dave's podcast? It's, it's enormous in the health space. Mm. He's like, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Dave's work. That's awesome. So I connected them to, and they became close friends. They collaborated on events since then. I've done multiple podcast episodes together. And now I'm friends with both of them. That's awesome. Um, but I didn't know either of them at the time. So there's, there's always kind of ways yeah. to, to, to do it outside of like, how can I really deliver value or move your yeah. business forward or whatever the case may be. You just got to get creative about it. But again, I think one of the biggest things is the self-awareness to check why you want to reach out to this person in the first place. Yeah. I have no desire. I have no desire to add any more people to my network because I already have an amazing group of individuals. Yeah. Um, and I'm a firm believer that all problems can be solved with the right network. And, and I feel like any issue I have right now can be solved. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the biggest thing and being able to kind of check yourself and say, what's the core driver for me to want to connect yeah. with this person? Do you ask yourself any other questions besides that in, in terms of checking yourself? Um, I, I always, just through self-awareness in general, I always try to ask like my motivation behind a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and when I have faced resistance in my life, like why am I facing resistance? Mm -hmm. So if it's around what writing, why am I facing resistance around writing? If I'm having issues losing weight or I'm gaining weight, well, 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 what's the core like belief <laughs> right. behind that or, or, or that kind of stuff? So I, I find myself, and awareness isn't just something that you just wake up and you're like, oh, I'm aware. You know what I mean? Like right. it, it's this constant thing and I just find myself kind of getting more and more aware. But one of my biggest things is just, um, is just really assessing my, my first reaction to things. Like there's a, uh, a great quote by Viktor Frankl who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah. I haven't read Phenomenal it. Phenomenal book. Basically Viktor Frankl was a psychologist, I believe, uh, who was in the concentration camps of World War II and um, he was there for, I don't know how many years, but he, he could see that um, there were certain people who died. He could predict who was going to die and who was going to stay alive. Oh. Um, and he has a saying that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our freedom because we have the ability to choose mm -hmm. the meaning to any kind of event yeah. in essence, right? So he, he saw that people who thrived or survived at least in the Holocaust mm -hmm. were people who um, actually attached like a positive meaning 
like to something so horrendous, they attach a positive meaning to it. So for me, one of the things like when I have an initial gut reaction, which is especially as a father, I mean, your patience is tested oftentimes. <laughs> so if I kind of, you know, yell at my daughter or I'm kind of snippy with her or something like that, I'll always try to, I try to extend that space as much as possible between an, an event or like stimulus of an event and my response mm. um, so that I can pick the appropriate response. Right. So um, yeah, no, awareness is just, it's, and also what helps me immensely with awareness is writing. Mm. Oh, it's, it's amazing as far as like, uh, therapeutically that's yeah. to some extent just writing stuff out yeah. like i'm writing stuff for our next master my talks event for my my talk about just even some of my own struggles around personal stuff around like my father stuff like that yeah and it's been incredible to just sit down pen to paper and just write this stuff out yeah. uh it's probably one of the the best exercises you can do from an awareness perspective is is, is to write right yeah, yeah. right so, and be honest 100 percent, 100 percent uh, going back just a little bit before we wrap it up, I, yeah. we talked earlier offline about the idea of using one name to build, to get other people on yeah, board. Yeah. And I just want to kind of dive into that a little bit before we sure. we close it up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you could tell us a little bit more about, I mean, I guess that plays into how you built, you know, you started Mastermind Talks, but let's get a little bit more into the theory. Yeah. It. Well, it, it kind of stemmed from um, you having Usher on your podcast, which means you can get anybody now, which I'm, <laughs> which I'm trying to convince you because Usher is the man. Um, he is the man. He is the man. But uh, yeah, so the, the philosophy, there's two ways. And this is, it's demonstrated on how I kind of built Mastermind Talks and how I build relationships to some extent is, um, so there's something called working up the food chain mm-hmm. and anchor tenants. So mm. working up the food chain, and this is something I got from my friend Ryan Holiday, who wrote a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying. He's really well known for being able to manipulate the media and mm. stuff like that. And his philosophy is that, you know, PR, if you want to get it for like the New York Times or something like that, it's very difficult. You have to get like big PR firms and stuff like that. Well, he's been able to do it as a 20 some odd year old kid um, by doing this thing where he breaks a story to like a small blog and yeah. then he'll anonymously email the uh, a bigger blog or a bigger news outlet uh, about, you know, oh, this small blog just announced a story and like chains, um, you know, or like links in a chain, it slowly moves up all the way to like the New York Times or something like that to like the big stage. So um, in, the, in the case of like uh, if you're doing a dinner or an event, if you get a, uh, you have 10 speakers you really, really want to get and you have like, you know, big name speaker and like easy speakers to get, you always try to get the easy speakers first because once you get two or three of those, then you build up enough social proof so that you know, once you get the third one, it's going to be easy to get the fourth. Once you get mm. the fourth one, once you have nine, it's going to be easy to get the 10th, yeah. right? So that there's a working up the food chain model um, and that can be used in, in podcasts or anything. So if you want to get a Tim Ferriss, you can get all of Tim Ferriss's friends <laughs> on the podcast first, which would be easier <laughs> than to get Tim. Yeah. And then when, then after that, you can go to Tim and be like, hey, I have all your friends on my podcast. Would you like to join? And most likely he'll say yes, right? right? So that's one thing. And then the other philosophy is an anchor tenant, which is, is used in... Um, real estate normally, which is if you have like a flailing mall or plaza or something, you know that if you put in a Apple store, it's going to bring on, bring in other great brands, right? Mm-hmm. So they're used as an anchor in, in a sense. So with, with Mastermind Talks, and I don't think I've ever talked about this, but um, I knew if I could bring on Tim, who's a big name speaker and, and big in my circle of, of influence, uh, I could bring on other speakers who want to be connected to Tim or other speakers who are already friends with Tim, but they're never at the same place at the same time. Mm. So, um, you know, there's the saying, it's easier to pick up uh, one ten in the bar instead of like 
five eights or something like that. So there's there's no wrong that you can either do working up the food chain or you can just you know go for the big fish right away and and focus all your energy on that. So yeah, and yeah. then everybody else comes after that. Exactly. <laughs> you got your usher. You got that's it. Man. I, I like it. I like it. So the last question, which I usually I love to ask all my guests, is what does live inspiration? mean to you dude i remember you oh god i remember you asked this question all the time and then uh i'm like oh god i can't believe you're asking me this question <laughs> i didn't prefer so i think i think being the best version of yourself and leading by example yeah. um it's uh, in it's it's one of the like the, the beautiful thing about being a parent is that your child is a mere reflection of mm. you and my daughter has definitely some of my good things and some of my bad things. Like one thing she said recently, which it's been driving me nuts is uh, I asked her to like come here or something like that. And she's three and she says, I'm busy. And I'm like, where did you get that from? And it's for me. And I, d I wasn't aware that I've ever said I'm busy to her, but I'm like, that's a slippery slope. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think just leading by example, being the best version you can be and not knowing you're not going to be perfect, but, be that kind of that marker of of yeah. excellence to mm. some degree yeah uh, i think it's, it's probably i wish i would have thought of a better answer because that was a great answer i, I, I know you asked this question <laughs> and i've listened to all your interviews and oh i blew it i blew it well, i appreciate you listening <laughs> as well it's, uh, it means it's a, a lot great podcast me. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen it's fantastic and it's a pleasure to have you on uh, so where can we find you on the interwebs, the internets? Um, so mastermind talks, the event is mastermindtalks.com. And then, um, I'm not too hard to find. So Jason, J A Y S O N last name is G A I G N A R D. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all that fancy. The, the IG. Guys. Yeah, exactly. So. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Dude, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Jason Gaynard. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And my vision with this podcast is to help you to take your creativity, entrepreneurship, relationships, and life to the next level. So if you were inspired by today's episode, we'd love it if you could leave us a good review over on iTunes, Tweet, or Facebook, the episode shoptalkradio.com slash EP48, which is also where you can find the show notes, the links, everything to go along with the episode, the photo shoot, and all of that. So we will see you next time.